Are you ready for this? Uh, we're going to go um, quickly, and I won't have much time left. Uh, I've learned that for a message to be everlasting, it doesn't have to be eternal. <laughs> but I'm going to try to get through this, and uh, you may want to throw a shoe at me at the end because you'll be disappointed because I didn't get to where you want to go to. There's a lot in this section right here, but I've titled this section called Out of Off Key and Out of Kilter. <clears throat> I've struggled with this title all week, as you know. Out of touch, offhand, off course. Have you ever seen the, uh, <clears throat> the America's Got Talent show where they're doing the tryouts? The guy comes in and uh, Simon Cowell's there and he starts hearing this awful noise and the person thinks they're singing in key and they really have no idea that they're so far out of key and they think they're good and he's going, oh. And uh, he just, he says, I can't believe people go thinking that they have that talent, but they do think that because they're off key. It means that there's a key or same way if you ever go sailing and you get your boat out there and your rudder, you know, that rudder is going to keep you going straight, but if the rudder turns and it's off kilter, kilter meaning out of balance or not usual, it's not the normal way of doing things. Well, this is a description I have of the, of the Corinthian church. And it's amazing to me to think about, as I'm going through this, I love, I love doing this study. Uh, a quiet night, and uh, I, I go home late and... Uh, that's when God gives me good insight as I'm starting and praying about these things. And even now, as I'm thinking about uh, sharing this with you, I want to just have a word of prayer real quick. Lord, I, uh, I can't do this. <laughs> uh, you've got so much here for us, and I just pray that you would take this word, get me out of it, and uh, let Christ come through. Lord, give us the wisdom here, we ask, because we need it by your Spirit. In Jesus' name, amen. My initial concern about this topic was somewhat similar to what I had with the head covering message. Because you think, I'm a man, I don't care about head coverings in this day and age, and people don't think about head coverings, and they don't worry about head coverings, and they don't think about... So that message was an interesting message to get through. Similarly, when I introduced this topic that Corinthians are going to deal with, as I've been asking around the church this week, I've been asking people about their experience and what they know about this topic, uh, many people don't know about what Paul is going to get into, the question of speaking in tongues. And therefore I thought, the one question that's always a good question to ask is, so what? <laughs> when you read the Bible, it says, so what? What difference does it make? But for where you are, if you're like me, if you're in this passage, you think uh, a lot of people aren't going to relate to this. And they don't care about relating to this because it's irrelevant because I've got a government that's out of control and people, student loans are, are getting, some people are getting them uh, relieved and other people aren't. There's uh, documents that are out of place, out of kilter, uh, political rivalry, the climate change, you saw the waters going down, uh, the economy is out of kilter. You know, all these things are really pressing issues there was a 16-year-old kid who went to school in Indianapolis, and he was shot as he was getting on the bus. I mean, so when I start talking about the passage of Scripture, I think, Lord, this doesn't seem to register at the front burner for most people. So I'm thinking, well, why do I do that? Why, why should I tell them? 
because there's something underneath this that I do want you to get to. Because it's not just the issues at hand, it's what's underneath. You're finding these Corinthians are dealing with symptoms of problems, and they're not even examining on the surface level. They're just kind of going through the motion, thinking what they're doing is okay. Well, Paul has is, is got some work cut out. And it's, it's interesting because every church community is different, every single one. And when Paul went to the Thessalonians, he didn't find this problem. He went to Philippi. They were a good group. He went to Colossians. They were open, receptive. He went to Ephesians and Romans. But when he came to Corinthians, they were off the chain. They, they were some group. And you think about this, why they were responding uh, at communion with thinking it's okay to get drunk at communion. And they were getting drunk and just, they were, they were, there was a lot of arrogance, a lot of independence. They were not dealing with personal sins, and they were challenging Paul. This was a tough church. It could have ended up in a church split, but Paul knew and had compassion. He understood they were babies in Christ. They were sophomores in the Spirit. They were developing, and they were needing direction, but they didn't want to take it. So have you ever tried to work with a teenager who thought they knew it all? You know the two sentences that teenagers know, use most often? Two short little sentences. I know. I know. You know, I know. So they know more. And if you ask them something they don't want to do, they I don't know. I don't know. Those are the two sentences. Well, Paul was working with teenagers at that fickle stage. And just imagine Sunday morning going to Corinthian church, if it's a hall or a home or something, and you're with a group of these Christians. What would it have been like for you to walk into that church? Would you stay? Would you enjoy that time? What was it like to be in the Corinthian church? The message is, come join our church, and you too can get confused and contentious. And you'd be talking in the parking lot because, did you see what that person wore? They didn't wear that. They said that. They didn't say that. It was a real different kind of church. Because they didn't understand what Paul understood. And Paul had a vision for the church, as he explains through all the churches. Paul had a vision because what Christ's Spirit desires to build into a new community, a kingdom community, a redemptive community. Paul understood what it meant to have what it meant to have the curse reversed and to be people not just outside of Eden but moving towards heaven. And that idea that the vision was so gripping for Paul that he gave his life to it. If you don't have an outward vision, you turn inward. And the Corinthians did not have an outward vision. They were, they were on the uh, furthermost part of the map for Paul in a pagan territory. And so this community was unlike some of the other churches in the New Testament. They had a lot of Jewish influence. And with the Jewish influence of the Old Testament, you have a 2,000-year history of, of memory, of remembrance of what God has done but the Corinthians were starting from zero. From zero. They didn't have Moses. They didn't have, they didn't understand Joshua or they didn't understand Daniel or they didn't understand a lot of things. 
And so when you start from zero, like we would do from our secular culture, from an atheist, you've got a lot of groundwork to cover. So Paul was working on that. But they had a vision through Paul, but they didn't understand it. So the idea that Israel having experiences, Paul would teach from the Old Testament and bring them up to speed with some of those stories. But the experiences of God's people in the Old Testament and the experiences of God's people in the New Testament, are, are, they overlap a lot. And there are lessons for both of us, for, from both of them that we can learn. The problem with the Old Testament is um, God had taken a group of people who didn't know him and led them into the wilderness and asked them to trust him and obey him when they didn't know him. Therefore, they had to walk by faith. And if they, didn't, if they didn't follow Moses and the leadership, because they didn't have the relationship with God, it was through the prophets. It was through the prophets that God would speak. And so they would have to say, well, I guess I trust Moses. I guess I trust Joshua. Oh, by the way, Susan, just for you, for the rest of you too, when the prophets would speak, often there would be music. Did you know that? The prophecy and music would go together because there was something about that connection. Going into war, the musicians would lead them out. But, they would, but the rest of the people who didn't know, when they heard the music or they heard the horns, they'd, God's doing something. But it was a, a body of believers because God had started a work in them, and he promised, and they would ponder anew what this God was doing. And, and as Paul would say, if God began a good work in you, he's going to perfect it until the day of Christ Jesus. That idea that he's the author and the perfecter of our faith, they didn't know that. The Corinthians didn't know that. They just had their experience of meeting Christ and then coming to church, and they had knew about salvation to some degree, but they weren't mature. And Paul said, you are babies in Christ. I can't speak to you as to mature men, and you're resisting me in everything I say. But they, as babies go, if you take... Israel, and you take the church as a baby, babies are locked into their senses. They are sensual, not sexual. They're sensual in the sense that they use their five senses to process what is going on. So a baby sees mother's face and she's smiling, and the, the warmth of the affection, there's a sense, a sense of, of connection. There's milk, there's, there's warmth. There's, well, likewise... In Israel, for new baby Israelites, they didn't have a rational understanding. They didn't have wisdom about the Lord. So God did something for Israel, for babies, and he gave them signs and wonders. And it was the signs and wonders that they saw. And so for the Jewish mindset, they would always say, we want to see, sense a visual. We want to see God's work. We want to touch it, and that sense, that sense of God's presence in the temple, they would have a, a tactical, tangible way of saying, God is with us. Likewise, in the New Testament, for the Corinthians, who didn't have a lot of understanding, I think God gave signs and wonders, so that the Corinthians, too, would have an understanding that God is with us. There's something unique about this Christianity that's different than the pagan Christians. And so Paul would introduce this whole idea of a community, 
that there's an understanding that the Spirit of God is going to give you wisdom, speak with you. And with the gifts of the body came this wonder of the Spirit speaking in tongues and speaking in prophecy in the New Testament. Now for the Corinthians, you can imagine, or you may imagine that was kind of wild. Well, it wasn't wild. Because a lot of pagan religions also spoke in tongues. It wasn't just a unique Christian thing. As a matter of fact, if you are around the world in different religions, you'll see in Buddhism they speak in tongues. In Hindu they speak in tongues. In Voodoo they speak in tongues. And so it wasn't that unusual, maybe. I'm not an expert on this, but that's why I'm saying that there's an experiential, something's going on here, but what is it that's going on? And so as you go back into the New Testament, you always find in, uh, in these situations where you have people who don't understand, God does something, because he's that good, to help us understand. Remember the story of the Ethiopian eunuch in Acts 8? When Philip was walking along the road and the Spirit of God moved him to run up to the chariot, the Ethiopian eunuch was doing what? He was reading Isaiah. And how can you understand it? I don't understand this. And so the Ethiopian eunuch asked questions. Who is this about? He's Ethiopian. And God sent him a man named Philip to explain to him. Now, take this as the idea that Philip was the interpreter. God sent somebody to help them understand. The same thing for Cornelius. In Acts 10, the Roman centurion, again, Roman, Ethiopian, keep this in mind. But when, when Cornelius heard Peter talk about what Jesus was doing and he was sending Christ to die for the sins, the Roman centurion understood the gospel. And Peter then baptized him. And then the Roman centurion was baptized in the spirit and spoke in tongues. Now that's an interesting contrast because the Ethiopian eunuch did not speak in tongues, but he had an interpreter. But the Roman centurion had an interpreter with Peter and then spoke in tongues. But notice, there were pagans. Ethiopia, Rome, not Israel. And that's something I want you to focus on. The same way in the Old Testament when Nebuchadnezzar had his dreams, he didn't understand so what do you do when you don't understand things in the Bible or in the Christian life? What do you do? Well, God can send you a person, send you a friend, send you a man, a woman. Like in John 1.6, there was a man sent from God named John the Baptist. And as you find these men being used, women being used to explain who God is, you find this very same meaning picked up with Jesus Christ. John 1.18, when John became the Word incarnate and he dwelt among us, it says in 1.18, no one has ever seen God. So how are you going to interpret God? God is a, a, a general catch-all word, but if you say the word Jesus Christ, you think of God because it was God being interpreted to us, the Father being explained to us, in the closest relationship, he has made him known. The NIV says he has made him known. Uh, the, another version says he has declared him. 
uh, NASB says he has explained him. The uh, King James King James says he has uh, what's the other word declared? I think it is. The idea that there's an exegesis you're explaining out of what the text means. Uh, God wants you to understand. That is the point that Paul is going to drive home to the Corinthians and saying, you guys don't understand. You really don't understand. And Paul knew they didn't know. And so therefore he said in 12.1, now about these gifts, and it's the same principle all the way along. They're asking questions, but there's an underlying problem going on. And we will read this without understanding. So I want you to understand, bless you. Uh, I want you to understand. Paul says in 12.1, Now about the gifts of the Spirit, brothers and sisters. Notice he has both sexes there, male and female, because that becomes an issue. Brothers and sisters, now about the gifts, I do not want you to be uninformed. Here it is. The NIV is uninformed, NASB is unaware, and the King James is ignorant, without knowledge. Pagans without knowledge? Okay, that's Paul's work is cut out for him. But here's the problem, and you've got to read this whole thing. And we're not going to do it in time, but I'm going to give enough just to set you up and that you can really go back home and read it. 12, 13, and 14 are the key points that Paul is going to use to springboard into this knowledge. And here's the problem. Chapter 12 is about what they were doing with those spiritual gifts unknowingly. They were not aware of what they were doing. Remember in the communion? They were having the communion their way. Paul said, stop. You're doing it the wrong way. You're doing damage when you do that because you're sending the wrong message. You don't get drunk. You just don't entertain yourself at the Lord's table. They totally didn't have an understanding of what that table represented. Likewise with the spiritual gifts. They didn't understand the meaning of the church. They didn't understand the idea of what it means to be unified together and called as one body. They didn't understand that because they were city-states. This is Greek. This is independence. This is, leave me alone. This is the Burger King church. Do it your way. They didn't understand the ecclesiology. They didn't understand what God's doing in making a new Israel, so to speak, a new, a brand new Testament covenant people that were going to be marked by a certain way, and they didn't know what that was. They were going to substitute it. Therefore, they couldn't understand the, the role of the Holy Spirit and what the Holy Spirit was doing in this Corinthian community. And they didn't understand that what this meant was the breaking through of the kingdom of the eschaton, the end of days. And that's a key phrase that we also don't understand very well. But the idea that everything that the Spirit is doing is the sign that there's something going on here that's brand new. Habakkuk would say in five, Look among the nations and observe, because I am doing a work in your day that if I were to explain it to you, you wouldn't understand it. But God is doing a work in getting the nations, and he's going to go on to talk about pouring out the Spirit upon all the nations. 
And that's what the Corinthians, like the Jews didn't understand, they were locked into a very narrow view, a vision of this is just for me. They didn't understand those things. And because they didn't have the outward vision, they had a lot of conflict on the inside. Now the solution to that is why Paul comes in royally with a, with a text that we take out of context. We use this for weddings. <laughs> 1 Corinthians 13. Love is patient. Oh, honey, I'll be patient with you. Love is kind. I'll be kind to you. We, we miss this because this is a corrective passage. This is exactly what the Corinthians were not doing. And Paul was trying to discipline and develop them, understanding that you guys don't understand these things, but you certainly don't understand love. You don't understand what grace is all about. You don't understand what the kingdom of heaven is like. I don't want you to be unaware, uninformed, ignorant. Therefore, you don't understand. You need to grow up. You need to mature. They didn't. They thought they were mature. I don't. I'm an adult. I don't take care of my own life. They didn't understand spiritual maturity, and they didn't understand faith, hope, and love. And so Paul sandwiches this this hope. Faith and love right in the middle of this problem. And he continues in chapter 14 to go back to the practice of what it means to be a body of Christ, walking in love, learning by the Spirit. It's an interesting thing. It's about the body life, and they were distorting this terribly. And the issue primarily is not just the gifts overall, it was those spectacular tongue like gifts that they were going on in the church. And so if you would go into the church and you would see this on a Sunday morning in Corinth, uh, you may not have the respect or the understanding that you need in order to relate to the people in the church. Now this week, I've done a couple things. I've asked people around what they've understood. But here's the background that you need. As I mentioned last week, the calling to share in a common community. We have one faith, one God, one Lord, one baptism, one gospel, one spirit, one body. We, we have more in common than we have outside in our differences. And yet the idea that there be unity and diversity through Christ. When Christ comes in, you see the unity automatically being binding in the church. You saw that in Acts 2.42, when the early church in Israel, when they heard the Spirit of God come upon them in Pentecost, it says they dedicated themselves to the Word, dedicated themselves to prayer, and they dedicated themselves to the fellowship. The Corinthians were dedicated to a Word and dedicated to prayer, and they weren't dedicated to fellowship. That's a problem, because you can't have diversity in the church with independent bowlers up there doing their thing and think that this is a collection of independent people doing their thing. They didn't understand that. And therefore, the theme that Paul is trying to get through to them is that you would understand and be intelligent Christians. Intelligibility leads to understanding. 
If you are blowing a horn and people get confused, if you're speaking in tongues and people get confused, confusion is not of God. And therefore Paul says, you guys are confusing one another. It's worse, it's better for you to sit down like the communion. Sit down and be quiet. Listen and learn. But the fellowship will only grow in unity and freedom if they focus on the edification of the whole body. That's what Paul is trying to do with the Corinthians. He's done it with every other church as you go through because it's the collected, it's the call and the collected, the gathering of God's saints together as the body with Christ as the head. Now there's a lot to this because in Thessalonians, in Thessalonians, when he writes that because our gospel came to you not simply with words but also with power, with the Holy Spirit and with deep conviction, understanding. You know how we lived among you for your sake. You became imitators of us and of the Lord. They didn't become imitators of the Lord first because they didn't know the Lord. But they had Paul, they had Timothy, they had interpreters, they had explainers. And they said, okay, this is the one that's going to keep us from going off kilter. Thessalonians followed that. Corinthians says, no, Paul, no, Paul, I think you're wrong. And they would argue with Paul. It's crazy, crazy to work with them. And Paul would say again, we remember before our God, our Father, the work produced by your faith, your labor prompted by your love. They were, the Thessalonians and Philippians, they were loving people, not the Corinthians. The Corinthians weren't, they were hard, stubborn, arrogant, rich. They had power, they had education, and then they had the poorest of the poor. And Paul says, don't you remember when you were called? Not many of you guys were noble. God isn't interested in your social class. He's interested in you. And he's going to bring all of you together in one body under Christ. Well, what the Holy Spirit wants for the Corinthians is to understand that the brother and sister next to you, you are not just members of the body of Christ. You are partners. You are family. And that idea that I really have a family. If you don't have a family in the background, you're all of a sudden introduced into a family. You have to adjust and learn how to live together. But the key thing to understand is that when God gives gifts to the church, it's for the family. There's grace for all who are in the church. There's a place for you in the church. And Paul wanted you to understand, you have a place. And there is a place for you to learn in the church. So there's no shame, no fear. There should be freedom and love in the church, in the body of Christ. Well, only for the sake of time, I'm going to go quickly because this is about not just spiritual gifts. Paul is correcting it. And he's talking about the abuse. And everything you read from here on, you have to understand, they are misusing the gifts. That's how you should read this. It's not an informative thing about what tongues are, what Prophecy is not about the information. It's about the correction, the abuse that's going on in the church. Now, remember, let me just go on. I I mentioned that there was confusion then when the tongues came in Jerusalem and there were tongues of fire and all the men. Remember what Acts 2.42 said, that when they spoke in tongues, the word there is actual language. It's a language that is xenoglossia. 
It's a foreign language. If I were to speak in Japanese or Spanish or, or Ethiopian, you would hear that if I were to speak it. But they were Galilean. They were not second language learners. It came out of nowhere and they would speak. And all of a sudden, the international people would hear and understand. How did these guys do that? The miracle wasn't just this natural tongue of a foreign language. And don't miss this. The idea is that God is reaching the international because he is a God of missions. God wants all the world to hear, go into all the world and make disciples. It's bringing the international people together in one kingdom. That's the miracle. That's the work. That's the sign. Can you, okay, husband and wife, have you ever had a misunderstanding? Honey, are you mad at me? No. She said no. What she says and what she does. Well, Republicans, Democrats, how hard is it to get people in the same language to connect? Parent, child. Uh, it's not about the... Can you imagine what heaven is going to be like when all the nations are going to be in harmony, on key, aligned? That's the church's vision that God is reaching out. And, but the problem is, and I'm going to leave you with this because it's getting late. There is a, something called this thing of tongues. And I want you to hear it because this... You can cue this up now, Becky. The, the thing is, most people have never heard. I've asked in this church a number of people, and the majority of people have never heard when somebody says, I've heard somebody speaking in tongues. This is a woman on the YouTube I've listened this week and studied, and you'll hear more about next week. But I just want you to hear this. And so this is a short little clip. You got it? She's in prayer. We just have to give our heart to you. were you confused by that? And if you had 50 people doing that, would you be confused? That's what was going on in the Corinthian church. And to understand that experience and to say, how do I understand this? What's going on here? This was not the Zeno foreign language. This is not a language as such. We'll look at this next week. It's not a language system. There is no grammar. There is no structure. There's no syntax. It is not a language, and therefore it's called another word, and the, and the glossolalia. It's a mumbling of sounds. And many churches today, the Pentecostals, the Assemblies of God, Methodists, Catholics, different churches will have an experience here and there, and it has popped up through history it's an phenomena, but how do you understand it? Well, the Corinthians didn't understand it. And they said, and it gets into this division. There were conflict in the church. If you don't speak in tongues, you're not a Christian. If you don't speak in tongues, you're not baptized in the Spirit. 
And can you see where the conflict would come because of the different doctrine? They couldn't get together. And this group would have speaking in tongues while they're having communion. This group would not be speaking in tongues. They would be separate. This is sending a mixed message to the church. And so something's going on. We'll look at next week. But the call for it is, the call for it is that the church wants to be bound and, and be unified. And the only way they'll do that is through the gospel. And the gospel, once you understand the resurrection, the gospel, understanding what the baptism is, will look at those things so that you will be intelligent, that you wouldn't be unaware, and that you wouldn't be unloving as you walk into the church. 